but yeah, massive, massive music fan. Uh, totally agree that it is definitely a uh, performance enhancer for getting the majority of, you know, my work done. Um, certain things, like if I'm working with numbers and whatnot, I usually prefer silence. But other than that, I mean, music's great. Right. Nice, Jocko Wilnick. Nice, dude. Sorry, I got a little carried away there. But I, who would have thought we'd be interviewing Jake today, right? <laughs> oh my! It's a Jake. Day. It's a Jake interview. You know, we're gonna start with a Jake. Are you allowed to like Jake interview, or are you not allowed to Jake interview? Uh, I mean, I don't think there's any any explicit rule that I. You know, can. and if you can't, I'll just talk to Evan and I'll let those big dudes chill. He's good. He's good to go. All right. <laughs> All right. Let's talk. Let's talk, Jake. Right now, Jake. Tell me, man. So, tell us the Jake origin story, starting right now. Like, tell us, like, how you be, like, where you were, where you went. Like, you don't have to say what school, I guess. So I don't know why you wouldn't say that. Who cares? Um, I mean, I'm out there. You know, you can Google me and find me pretty quick. Uh, but it's cool if you don't want to do that. I understand. My question to you is, what were you, like, how did you get into this from where you were as, like, a kid? Were you, when you were, like, 10 years old, did, were you, like, oh, man, I cannot be, I can't wait to do, like, can't wait to do T and T T and A for uh, you know Mintify. It's gonna be amazing. Where'd you start? Um, what did you want to be when you grew up? You know, I never really, um, I never really had some. I mean, I'm sure when I was you know really young, I had things that I you know you know quote wanted to be. Um, going through high school and whatnot, I wasn't really sure. I want. I definitely wanted to work in tech. Um, I you know I've always appreciated you know emerging tech technologies. And definitely seen that, you know, it, the expansion of tech is the future. I didn't explicitly, you know, think that I wanted to work in a crypto related thing or anywhere specific in tech. But I went to, uh, I mean, I went to NYIT, I'll, whatever, I'll say that, uh, for IT, or actually originally computer science. And then they decided to kind of not count a whole bunch of my credits from my transfer school for my degree. And I just, I just switched to IT because I want I wasn't gonna give them another what what is it like thirty five thousand dollars you know to to go for another semester or whatever it was worth um, worth thirty worth the extra time just enough lab but keep going no the school is, it was a terrible school I mean it has it has great you know it has uh, you know people say great things about it but the school itself at least from my experience and a, and a bunch of my friends it was not a great place uh, the teachers were pretty poor. Um, in terms of their quality of, of, you know, their capabilities. But I, I, what I did learn there was definitely valuable. I I wouldn't say it was a whole bunch, but it definitely did. It definitely prepared me and how I need to um, learn things for myself. And that's kind of where I started with TA. Um, It was actually a little bit before that I started TA when I was getting my associates. Um, and I just started to like it a lot. I didn't really plan to actually use it later on. Um, just enjoyed doing it and spent many, probably thousands of hours um, learning TA, teaching myself, watching uh, certain YouTube videos. There are a lot of crypto YouTubers that are absolutely terrible. Um, but the I, bar, I found the bar. The bar is low, brother. The bar is incredibly low. Uh, there are a few that are. Are high are of higher quality, and then one in particular, uh, 
that I, I you know I'm not sure if I'm, I'm supposed to be shilling crypto YouTubers, so I won't say the name on unless it's asked. Um, that I, I mean, Who is I, it? okay, uh, Eric, <laughs> <laughs> Eric Crown. Um, I, I personally learned a lot from him. Uh, nice. His his channel is very educational. He's funny, um, but he's serious, very serious, and very statistically oriented. You're not going to go on there and just you know see some some crap about how Bitcoin's mooning because it's mooning. You're going to see why, and it it honestly really helped me to learn the statistics behind things and what to look out for and to observe for correlations between you know different markets, uh, different indications on the chart, things like that. That's where I really got into TA, uh, and that that expanded my knowledge a lot. Just in the throughout financial markets, it really helped to understand market dynamics, why these things work. I always had an interest in psychology, and psychology is a big factor, uh, not necessarily in technical analysis, but in market dynamics. And that helped a lot to, uh, to quickly uh, help my understanding of how Web3 works and how the NFT market works, because it's, it's even more heavily influenced by psychology than traditional markets and and even you know cryptos so um i mean that really is is how i got to where i am um i have a a a high interest in how these things operate in technical analysis in markets in uh psychology of the markets i i always enjoyed researching things and um i'm not i'm not opposed to writing i i'm definitely a decent writer uh i enjoy it so that yeah, that's how that's how I got where I am working uh, working for Mintify, an awesome company, building incredibly awesome tools. Right, I actually agree with that statement. And you know, like you said, tech is the future. Like, of course it is. Like at the end of the day, it's. I mean, we're, anybody that has an email address knows or has a social media account knows that we're spending more and more time online and on the internet. And I remember. It's funny that you said that because even in the late '90s, when I was actually telling my parents, '98, <laughs> '99, I'm like, "Hey, I'm going to focus on the internet. I'm going to be working on the internet." Like I was so naive at then. I was like, "I'm going to build like I'm going to build and like maintain websites for like these big, uh, you know, resorts in the Caribbean." No joke. This is what I in my mind. I'm like, "Oh, I'm going to be building websites in the Caribbean and all this other stuff and helping them out and just living the life." And uh, my mom's like, both my mom and dad were like, oh, so you want to be unemployed and like struggling for the rest of your life? I'm like, no, not really. Like, I really think this is possible. Yeah. So when I turned 30, I was literally had a house in the Caribbean working on the internet, not exactly building websites for like, you know, uh, you know, resorts and stuff, but I actually had a house in St. Thomas and was working for a tech company running their, basically all of their, their ad operations are. So imagine that dude, I literally had that goal in mind when I was like 20. And you basically did it. Yeah. I crushed it. Every goal I've set out for myself so far. And I think it has a lot to do with like chips on my shoulder. I don't know. This is my, this is my take. So everybody that told me I couldn't do something, I always prove, I always tried to like prove them wrong. And it's those chips that got me to places where I'm like, you know what? F that. They say, I can't have it. I'm going to take it. So that is the, that's the way I, at least I, I operated. That's pretty cool that you got into this. So was your major not associated with like analytics and numbers and accounting and stuff like that? Was it more of a, like a, a liberal arts degree? No, it, it was just a straight up IT degree. Oh, for real? Like a, like a under, was it a associates or a full, like a bachelor's? It was, uh, 
associates and, and bachelors, not 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 graduate. I did not. I was not spending the time or money to go. No, to no, respect yeah, school yeah, for my graduate yeah, degree. Yeah, there's a lot of people that don't do that. The only reason why, so there's the reason why I got my, I got a double master's, is because somebody at the company I worked for, in Connecticut, was like, yeah, you can't have this. You can't be. You can't have this role because you don't have a master's degree. And I was like, what? Like, but you see that I'm super qualified for it. And they're like, yeah, you can't have it. They were very traditional business, like uh, corporate business. I worked for a company called Sennheiser. They make like headphones. Yeah, I know and like, Yeah, yeah. So I, I ran their North American marketing and they're like, yeah, you, you, you know, to be the real guy in charge of marketing, you actually have to have a master's degree. And I was like, and yeah, man, it's, it's an interesting scenario. Every time everybody's ever said no. So this is really cool, dude. So you got it. You went to, so you went and got your associate's degree, which is ridiculously smart. By the way, that's a, a life hack for anybody that doesn't know it to save a shitload of money on your degree. Go to, go to a community college or an associate's degree college, whatever it is, get a two year degree for wicked cheap and then get your last two years at the four year school. And that's how you, that's, that's actually exactly how you save. Yeah, you save so much money and tuition by doing that. Um, I didn't do it. I wish I did. And uh, just because I didn't know about it, you know, I knew about the hack afterwards. And I was just like, well, you know, a couple months late. <laughs> I would say a couple of years late, but that's the way to do it, man. So congratulations on that. And you and you focused in IT, on IT, like, like IT as in like networking, like, you know, how to set up like a you know, a network and keep people's computers online or something like that? Or like, what is that was IT? Part of it was, it was say, very broad. Yeah, I was going to say, IT is pretty uh, broad term. That's saying like, I work in uh, consumerism, you know, yeah. like, oh, okay, great. So what do you do in consumerism? Yeah, it was very broad. It was, it was a mixture of, yeah, that the networking, you know, essentially building computers, setting up, uh, you know, systems and whatnot. And then there was also, you know, a good amount of, of coding, you know, JavaScript, Java, PHP, uh, obviously HTML and CSS. I mean, among other things, uh, there were, there was definitely more to that. Um, computer architecture. I mean, I, I learned about, you know, the most basic functions and whatnot, you know, binary, all the, all those fun things. There were a whole bunch of, um, a whole bunch of engineering, you know, like light engineering things that I had to do. And then math, uh, which wasn't fun. In fact, math is my absolute worst area, which is funny because I work with a lot of numbers, which I don't really mind the numbers. It's was it was calculus that really got me. I mean, don't get me wrong. F I, calculus. <laughs> yeah. I mean, statistics, everything below calculus was an absolute breeze. And then again, the calculus, and it's literally the only grade that I don't have an A in. In fact, I, I, I finished with, well, like a, like a 3.6 GPA. And the, the only reason that it was 3.6 is because I got a C plus in calculus. <laughs> in cal in cal um, it's funny how, the, it's funny how, the, it's funny how the law averages work, right? <clears throat> it's like, you can get like nine, one, like nine tens, right? Let's just say you get the top scores. Like you have a rating from one to 10 or zero to 10 and you get like nine tens and then one rating of like a one and like it fucks up your average so badly. Yeah, exactly what happened to me. It's unfortunate, but I'm not disappointed. I mean, 3.6 is still decent. Yeah. 3.6 is all right. You know, it's like when you get a 3.8, like myself, you know, that's when, the, you know, that's when the <laughs> rubber hits hey, the road. If, if I could have just uh, gotten, you know, not gotten a C plus. If I had just gotten like a, you know, a B plus in math, I it probably would have been like what, like three point seven, three point eight. 
Yeah. So what, so you got to, how did you go from like, what were you doing before Mentify, dude? Like exactly before Mentify, what were you doing? You don't have to be specific, specific, just like, what was the, like kind of the role? Um, for a little bit, I was doing some stuff working for myself and with a friend of mine. Mm -hmm. Um, not, it, it'll take way too long to really go into details. It was pretty intricate. Um, but it was all right. You know, it, I definitely enjoy what I'm doing now more. What's the category you were in, though? You can at least say that, right? Um, it, I, I'd prefer not even to categorize it. I, I, I'd kind of rather just forget about that portion of my my employment. So you were, so you were, <laughs> so you were in porn. Okay, got it. Yeah, no, definitely not. Um, <laughs> but I mean, before that, I mean, what was I doing? I was, I mean. I was doing, you know, a bunch of different things. I was actually driving Uber Eats for a while. And, you know, believe it or not, you can actually make decent money doing that. Then you have to obviously subtract all the all the expenses like, you know, wear and tear and car and gas and everything, which <laughs> did not make it worth it. Um, but that whole time I was just doing crap loads of technical analysis and, you know, learning lots of uh, how, how the markets work. And that's really what got me the experience to do what I'm doing now. Um, and I mean, as I said, I enjoyed doing all of it very much and still do. Yeah. It's interesting, man. Like you're, uh, I like that you did Uber eats kind of like it humbles you when you do stuff like that. Yeah, it definitely does. Yeah. And you, it, you know where you don't want to be. So I never did. So they didn't have Uber eats obviously when I was growing up, but you know, I waited tables. Like I was a waiter for four years in undergrad. So I definitely know. The grind, dude. I've worked full time and went to undergrad full time, so I definitely know how it feels to the humbling. Yeah, here's the deal. I didn't even feel like humbled because I was like, "Hey, this is better. This job is way." I worked at a fine dining restaurant, so it was like super. I don't know. It was super. I thought it was good because it just good cash stuff like that, you know. Yeah. So, man, it's a. Uh, it's definitely. <clears throat> I'm sure you're excited to like work for. It makes sense why you're excited to work here. At or sorry, yeah, Mintify. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this gig is it. cool. It's definitely a cool gig. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, Evan's background is interesting too. So, uh, like both you guys have unique backgrounds. Evan obviously has built companies before, so that's yeah. definitely really interesting. There's a lot of cool things you guys got going on over there. You know, I need to I need to have Evan back on here. I can't remember when the last time I had him. Let me see. I think the last time he was here was the first day that I came in here. What yeah, I'm looking. Oh, yeah, I do have it. Yeah, January 25th. So I talked to him a bunch, though, before that. Like, I've had him on the... Before I made this into, like, a show show where I was just, like, doing... I was just doing Twitter spaces for, like, 10 hours a day. Like, he would just pop in every now and then and, like, chat it up and talk about his progress. Because I was there way before Mintify became Mintify. Like, he's uh, he's been in the space for a while. Yeah. I remember talking, I think I remember talking to him even back in like July, August of 2021. Yeah, man, he was telling me what he was building or like had an idea to build and stuff like that. Man, it's definitely good ideas. The thing is like, how do you guys, how are you guys faring right now? I know this is about you, Jake, but how are you, how are you guys faring right now with all these things coming out that are, you know, competing tools? Like, how do you guys feel about that whole situation? Um... Like, you know what I mean? Like how OpenSea is like amplifying, yeah, I know. you know, I, I definitely understand where stuff. you're coming from. Um, yeah. just not sure that it's not really my, my place to speak for, um, you know, our overall feelings on it. I'm sure we're all, you're not, spe about not, it. 
not speaking for Evan or Mentify. How do you feel about it? Yeah, how do I feel? I mean, I think I think I don't see there's nothing wrong with it. I think it's great. I mean, you know, a competition, you know, breeds innovation. Um and, you know, it influences Compe people. To co competitions for losers. <laughs> no, well, that's serious. So competition, the reason why I say that is this is what um, Peter Thiel says in Zero to One. And he actually makes a really good point. Like Facebook popped into the scene and they didn't have any really competition. They smoked MySpace because they didn't innovate anymore. And yeah. they dominated, right? And at the same time, Twitter dominates in their category too. Like no one can compete with Twitter's domination because of their innovation stack. And anybody that's ever like played and played a game of the game of business ever has dominated the space. If they're successful, like AOL dominated dial up Airbnb dominates, right? The alternative to like rental, like renting a, uh, you know, hotel room. Now they you now they people are staying in the house. Uber dominates the the transportation space, like the cab and you know rental car space. So now you just Uber everywhere, right? They make it so affordable. You're just like, do I even need to own a car because of Uber? Like you start to think like, what's the math on like the insurance? Like I don't know how about the insurance rates are in New York, but imagine like calculate the insurance, the gas prices, the you know all these other things that you you would need to like run around town and stuff. Like right now, I don't drive too many places, right? Enough to be like, I, I of course, having a car is like that lifeline. You're like, hey, man, at least I have a, you know, sweet car. But there was a year or two there where my car like moved maybe four times in that year, five times in that year, and I would always Uber everywhere. And you got to wonder, like, if that's happening, if I could do that in LA, you could do it in much, you know, tighter quarters like New York or, you know, Long Island, strong no, Island. No, it's not worth it on Long Island. There's... I, I don't, I don't oyster even have to Bay? Drive. So, so you don't get like chauffeured around from Oyster Bay to the city or something? No, if I'm, if I'm going to the city, I'm <laughs> taking the Long Island Railroad and I'm not driving. Um, but you gotta, you gotta ride, you gotta ride with the people, man. Just to, you know, to know what the, the, the normal average people feel like, right? Yeah, but it's, <laughs> it's basically the same amount of time and it's cheaper. And then like, you know, I'm already, it's easy to transfer onto the subway from the LIR, you know what I mean? To go somewhere else. I mean, it's just makes more sense for me to take the Long Island Railroad. Um, but as for Long Island traveling, I mean, I drive everywhere. I, you know, other than, you know, if I'm going out or something, I'll Uber uh, because I don't drink and drive. I drive everywhere. If you drink and drive now, if people drink and drive now, like if people get a DUI now that there's Uber, that's insane <laughs> it's to me. Shameful. Like literally, <laughs> like think how insane that is. Like, hold on, let me risk getting a DUI, which will like literally disrupt my life crazy, a crazy amount. Or let me pay 50 bucks for an Uber just in case. Yeah. Like what are you, you know, thinking? I, I, think, I think what gets a lot of people is that they don't want to, like they drive there with the, with the thought that they'll be able to drive home fine later on, but then they can't drive home fine later on. They don't want to leave their car there. Um, I, you know, I just play it safe and Uber there and back. Yeah. Rather. Always, no. dude. Always. But, I don't even drink anymore. So I haven't, I actually haven't had a drink in like five or six months now. So, I mean, I have to admit, maybe I drank once or twice in between, but it, I don't think that really counts. But man, let me tell you, it like if you're drinking and you're like driving places, I mean, that's just insane to me. I agree with you. Like I would Uber everywhere and it's not even that expensive. It's LA too. Like if you can, if I could afford it in LA, and by the way, there's places I don't go. Sometimes Uber saves me because it costs so much. Like during NFT LA, there, there was like an event in like, 
Hollywood Hills and I live in like by the beach in uh, LA and I'm like, Oh, hold on. Let me, let me see. Do I want to pay $80 each way for an Uber? Cause just in case I have a cocktail or two, just in case I do, I don't want to have to like leave my car up in the middle of nowhere where I have to like Uber back and get it tomorrow anyway. Like, why would I do that? So I agree that the whole, like leaving your car places is a problem, but if you've been drinking and you drove there, just leave your car. It's so easy to like not get a DUI because we didn't have Uber. I remember, dude, I actually took, I was one of the first people that ever took Uber black car when Uber first came out. Dude, it was great. It like, it was, there was a, there was a service in LA. Let me give you a little detail about LA real quick. Cause we were, you know, obviously LA and like San Francisco area, like Bay area slash Silicon Valley, like Silicon beach is, we're all like heavily tech. You know, I, I used to travel back and forth between those two cities, like crazy LA and like Los Gatos, which is right outside of, you know, I guess, I guess it's part of Silicon Valley, but anyway, the key, the, the answer to this thing is like before Uber, there was a, there was a service in LA that offered to pick you up and they had these like little scooters I don't know how to explain it any better than they weren't electric, but they were like scooters where you can like ride, they would, or they were foldable bikes. They would ride up to your bike and they would fold it up and put it in your trunk and drive you home and then ride back on this foldable bike back to where they were. That was a service people were paying for. It was like $200 to have like someone come pick up your car, put the bike in your trunk and then drive your car home with you in the passenger seat and then leave on the bicycle. <laughs> Two hundred dollars, dude. That's insane. I did not. I never heard of that. Yeah, I, mean, I remember a, there, when Uber started, but I had never heard of that. Yeah, there was an app and everything for it, and it was, uh, it was, dude. I didn't. I never used it just because I just. I don't know. I I would rather take a taxi, and taxis were brutal, bro. They gouged you. It was like one hundred fifty dollars. Uber would cost for Uber. It would be like fifty bucks for a regular taxi. One hundred fifty dollars. Same same location and everything. It was crazy, dude. They they would gouge you. And that's why I can't believe Uber didn't launch sooner. Because you don't really need an iOS app to launch a product like that. But I don't, do you guys even know the story of like how Uber actually even came about? Maybe I should tell that story someday. Because the story they tell in the press is not the real story. I'm not sure, honestly. Um, I mean, the three of us in here will keep, can keep a secret, right? Yeah. I mean, the space is recorded, so... <laughs> yeah, but I did not, you know, I recorded all three of my, like, three spaces this week, and I, all you have to do is, like, right after the space, hit the three buttons, and it deletes the recording. So, um, Tim, come up here and, uh, come up here and, like, chat with us, and I'll tell the story about Uber. But you got to come up as a speaker, bro. Just come on up, bro. Pop on up there. Just pop right up here. Just pop on up, bro. Just pop on up, Mr. Cook. He's up here. Is he? It says listener still on my side. It says speaker for me. Oh, shit. There it is. Now it says requested. Weird. Yeah, now I see requested. <laughs> there we go. Tim Cook, everybody. What's good? Good morning. Good morning. I'm definitely interested in hearing the story about Uber. Oh, I knew it. See, look at that. But you guys, you guys can keep a secret, right? Of course. All right, I like it. That's what I want to hear. That's all I needed to hear. All right, so here's the real story of what happened behind, like, how Uber got started. So so that's the real story behind Uber. And I can tell you another story. I took Uber, the first Uber I took, 
They didn't have any calculations. They didn't tell you how much a ride was. They, they estimated what a ride cost. And they would say, it's somewhere between, it's going to be somewhere between $20 and $80. No joke. That, that's what the first, the first Uber would tell you. And I was like, that's kind of vague. So you never knew what it was going to be. And they, they started bragging. Like, so I took the Uber, um, probably the Uber black car, like two or three times. And it, it was towards the lower end. And then on New Year's Eve, 20, from 2011 to 2012, New Year's Eve, is going to sound funny. I, you know, call an Uber car because I'm like, hey, I'm going to be drinking tonight, clearly. So I'm going to just get an Uber. Because, you know, it was pretty, it was on the reasonable side last time. It's been on the reasonable side. It seems like a lot of, they want us to keep using the app. So lifetime value increases, which makes perfect sense. So I was thinking to myself, okay, cool. This is going to be great. Like I'm going to be able to like Uber somewhere really cheaply because Uber still doesn't have traction yet. The product doesn't like have like a bunch of people using it. And I clicked to use it and, you know, it said, oh, the, the Uber is going to be, you know, something like 50 bucks or, or 60 bucks. And I was like, holy shit, this is going to give me a ride. Hold on. Let's let Tim get back up here. Can you hear us, Tim? Yeah, I accidentally pressed the X button. My apologies. No, that's all good, dude. So I pushed the button to like get this Uber ride, and it was like, oh yeah, it's gonna be fifty bucks to go to like Hollywood and fifty bucks to come back. You could actually book round way trip, uh, round yeah, round round trips on the app. So I booked this trip, and I was like, oh sweet, this is gonna be like a hundred dollars total, like back and forth. This is great. So I booked it, went there, you know. Got, had a few pops, you know, got a few pops up in my grill and then, uh, you know, drove and on the ride back, you know, that I pushed the button to call my Uber driver who was the same Uber driver who drove me there. Like, this is how new the app was, right? Picked me up, drove me home. And then he goes, Oh, by the way, it's going to be $244 for the trip. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, no way, dude. There's no way I'm paying 200. I was so worked up. I'm like, there's no way I'm paying $244. And he's like, no, that's, I don't care what you say. You're paying $244, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, no, I'm really not. Like, this is not okay. I'm not paying that. Get out of the car, you know, go upstairs. I'm like, I'm like I'll am like, i just handle this tomorrow, right? I'm not going to deal with this right now. It's friggin' 3 in the morning. I'm just going to handle this tomorrow. Finally, like, hit up Uber, and then I reached out to a friend of mine who actually knew, you know, all the Uber people that were trying to build this product and instantly got my re – they refunded everything. They're like, here you go. Money's back. And, dude, that's a, a user experience you'll never forget. When a company does the right thing like that, like you just go, wow, I'm going to use Uber again. Wow. They it actually makes you a loyal, a loyal yeah. member. For the price, yeah, think about it. For the price of 240 bucks, they got me like stuck on Uber and also saying like positive things about them to everybody. I was literally – and. And of course, they probably saw me as a mark because I was running global marketing for like Atari at the time. So they were like, oh, my God, let's get the head of marketing for a big company to like say nothing but good things about me. And there I am tweeting about Uber and how great they are, you know, all this stuff. So even back then, I had like 14,000 followers on Twitter. So it was like, it kind of feels like I haven't done much work, Mintify. Two years now, I've been on Twitter, like taking it seriously and only have 50,000 followers. <laughs> I'm doing I something mean, wrong, man. Spaces was a hack for that. You didn't have oh to. Oh my gosh, it was a hack, Lucas. Right, dude? It was like, I was getting 200 followers a day and it's because I put, it, I put in so much time. I didn't want to do that, hey, pay to play crap. I put in the effort. You know what I mean? Like, 
exactly. thousands of hours on Twitter spaces that just gave us, gave me so much leverage because when people hear me talk, that's the power of like, I think the power I have, cause I'm actually a you know decently smart person. I know exactly what I'm doing. I'm a professional. So when people hear me talk, I know they'll be convinced to follow me and carry on and retweet my tweets and my messaging and things like that. I know that it's going to happen because I know what kind of a person I am. And Penn agrees with me. I can see that on there. Penn rocks, by the way. It's real-time access. You know, it's like a podcast. When I'm watching YouTube or these um, these uh, these videos of people speaking about some of the same things you are, I don't have instant access to Joe Rogan. Imagine if Joe Rogan was to get on Twitter spaces and Tim, some of the same things. Tim, you're so that- right. You're so right. Imagine, Tim, if, if not, not only that, but imagine if Elon Musk retweeted one of your tweets. It's over with. Like, you could literally, you're famous for the rest of your life. Literally famous the rest of your life. Oh, who's this guy, Tim Cook? He got retweeted by Elon Musk. Oh, I need to follow him. Like, literally, you're 100,000, 150,000, 200,000 followers later. If you play it right, you could literally make a career out of him retweeting you once. Isn't that insane, the power like, so if you know the right people and the right steps to take, you could actually leverage that into like a full-time half a million, million dollar career right there. Penn, what's Thanks. up? And it just takes one time too. It well, really it also, it also takes, it also takes you actually taking it seriously and also being an intelligent person. And you can do that, Tim. You're one of those guys. You know what I mean? Like if someone, if he retweeted you and you blew up, like there's no question you could, you would be able to handle that. A lot of people could not. They'd be like, oh my God, what do I do next? And by the time they find out what they do next, what to do next, they, it's, you know, that buzz is gone. So, Penn, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Hey, Tim. Hi, Mentify. Um, I, I thought that if you had, if you, cause you'd have a, like a little group of people that you guys have like a, a little agreement that you're going to help each other out without even saying it, you know, but the more you retweet them, then it it's like the rules keep changing and I can't keep up. So, <laughs> yeah. So my 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 thing is like I don't uh, I don't tell people to retweet me ever. I just say, hey, if you think my tweet's good, retweet it. I mean, if you feel the same way, retweet it. What you need to do to get people to, to a- actually have people retweet you, it's super simple. Just find all you have to do is find the people that already agree with you, and you tweet the message you you want to tweet. Tweet it to if you start tweeting to yourself, you reach all the people that are like you, right? And then they see the message and they resonate to you, and then bam, you're getting retweets and followers and all that stuff. So there's a way. It's to not do hard it. to sell to people who think like you. Yeah, you don't even have to sell people. You just have to find people that already agree with you, and you're good to go. Right. It's like uh, you're your own brand. You know, find people yeah. that you're like. And they like you, you share the same type of things, what you think about, what you talk about, and you end up, but even like yesterday, I was in a a room with, um, with fast and a couple other people and just talking about technology. And I learned so much in there and to be able to like, talk to people that are innovate like that could take my ideas and launch them into a bigger thing and then i offer something to them and it's a beautiful thing and then you end up being friends with them even though they're not exactly the same it's just slowly building i feel um and finding 
out because I feel like when I tried to pick a lane, if I tried to pick a lane at one thing I was good at, I would, I would, I wouldn't make it. <laughs> yeah, you should always, I, I highly recommend picking a lane just because, uh, pick a niche and then focus on it. Cause I can tell you the more you're, the more vague you are, the less you are to resonate with a lot of people. I um, totally agree with that. Cause I have, I even have this little saying that uh, one of my coaches told me, um, he said, find something that you're good at and make yourself great at it. And once you do that, like you'll find more people that's like-minded than both like you and these other people can just continuously build onto each other's momentum. Yeah, I think right? I think it's more like as far as like an art style. I couldn't pick a lane. I should have been more. Um... You still can. There's no you should have. You got it right now. You can change it right now. Pick a lane. Oh my god! I wouldn't even say pick a lane. I would just pick a focus, and you're good to go. So I was wondering if you had any ideas, or uh, I, I'm trying to link um, NFT with my products i that's like the big thing that everybody's talking about right now like how to do it you know where if they bought something from my shop then they would get a free nft but then people want to keep their anonymity and i don't know i just kind of think that's silly because anybody that really wants to go digging on anybody on the internet can find something you know but i guess for that's a tough one that you're saying like uh, in IRL goods for, and like NFTs are like literally a tough market to crack both of them because you're tying re real world data. So, you know, what you could do is make your NFTs purchasable with, uh, you know, regular fiat money. That would be a way around it. And then you can like if they haven't let them have an option buy this NFT by itself or buy this NFT with the physical good, charge a little more for it so that you can actually ship them that and they get to choose whether they want to buy the NFT, whether they want to buy the collection, right? Or whether they would just want to buy the in real world thing as a third option and don't give them the NFT because they don't, maybe they just don't want the NFT. Why complicate a process, right? Use regular internet options where it's NFT only, NFT and real world thing or just real world thing, three options. You can buy this, this or this. I like the whole buy the NFT and if you want the physical item, burn the NFT. Why you gotta burn? Why you gotta make it complicated? Like burning oh, is just make, like a complication. It, it, it's, you know, it's definitely an extra step, but I'm sure that, you know, in, in the coming Test months, it. that's it's a good idea. A lot more simple. Yeah. So, well, Manifold already makes it like crazy easy, Bureau. But you, I absolutely agree. If you wanna try to test that, but you have to, what you have to do is you have to take on the the idea and framework of testing things, making small bets of like, hey, here's the physical product. Here's the NFT that also includes the physical product. Here's just the NFT if you want to buy the NFT. And here is the NFT that you can burn to then get the physical product if you want it. See which one actually resonates and works and then go that way. Like that's how you test is if which one you can literally the problem also though with listing all of them cr creates like something called choice paralysis. That's another problem. So you, if you give them too many options, they might not choose any option. So I would recommend creating like significant distance between each of your offers, meaning unique landing experiences 
um, like a, a, just one landing page for, you know, item one, one landing page for, which is basically just the NFT one landing page. That's completely unique with only one product on it with the NFT and the, if you buy this NFT, you get this, just, then another landing page. So th four landing pages, three, la the third landing page, just the NFT. And then the fourth one would be the NFT that you can then burn for the physical item and see out of all four of those options, which one gets bought and which one's more interesting to these people the most. And you can do that on Twitter because it's free. So I think that's, those are the options that I would test. Like I said, unique landing experiences. So you don't clutter the message of like, here's four options. If you give them four options, they're going to choose none 90% of the time. Yeah. If you give them three options, they won't choose the, the right option either. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, to, to round about and go back to the point though, it's like inspired me to learn how to, you know, look into how to create my own contracts and things of that nature. Cause we're just not all good at one thing. If you're an artist in this space, you have to be good at many things, you know, designing a web page, uh, marketing, like 10% of it, I think feels like it's actually creating art because you have to be versatile. And in order for me to protect myself and protect um, anybody who would end up then be in a community because it would be associated with that NFT, that it's important that I know what I'm doing. So it's like now I have to learn and diversify my skills to include that also. So it's just, uh, I'm just having a good time as usual here. There you go. Yeah. Have a good time and do it. But I can tell you, you're right. I mean, Twitter is 90% giving and 10% trying to take or less 95% give. And I'm talking give valuable content, valuable insights, valuable, all about pen kind of stuff. And then the other five or 10% should be, Hey, if you're enjoying X, maybe you want to check out my Y. So it's constant marketing. I love social media, bro. Like I really do love it. It's sharing so many different ideas around the world that you wouldn't have access to here 20 years ago. I know. Right. It's so inspiring. It's like how it was from right? the day I got here. Right. It's like every time it's just more exciting, more talking to people that make you inspired and it's just great. It really well, is. Cause even me and Lucas, me and Lucas are unlikely to be friends. Right. <laughs> But we found out we have so much in common and we have stuff we're not in common with, but the stuff that we do have in common with has made us like really close over the years. What's word it been up. like two years now? Two? Yeah. We're, yeah. Word up, dude. It's been two years and I can tell you, man, Tim's like, uh, it feels like a, Tim's been my friend my whole life. So Yeah. But see, if not Tim would have only picked the lane and only stayed with football, you guys would have never met. Oh, I know. I agree. You shouldn't, I, I'm not saying like pick a lane and only stay in that lane. I'm saying pick a message and then make small bets, test small things. Coming into spaces is one of those things. It's a very small commitment. You're just in here and, you know, listening. And if you feel like it, you could actually, literally, you could change your life by requesting to speak in a space. It could change True. everything for you. Because like, I, and it, we, you can multitask ish but 
whenever I was deeply involved in football, like my day would consist of mostly football oriented things. So basically saying the majority of what your message needs to be is of one topic. Cause I will wake up five 30 every morning, football, football, class, football, on field football task, this, this football, that football, that, um, but when it's time to have conversations about other things, I do. It's just a time and a place for everything. But majority of the time, it was football. And then whenever I needed to transition into the financial world uh, a little bit more, I focused majority on on the finances or the financial aspect of it. When I got to Twitter, people don't know this. Um, despite me being in the NFL, Lucas knows this. Despite me being in the NFL, playing college football, uh, being in the newspaper on TV since I was uh, won my first championship in ninth grade, I had under a thousand followers on Twitter two years ago, and then I got into the financial world of things, trying to expand my knowledge, and still doing it to this day. Thanks to Lucas and many other friends on here, I grew uh, a, um, a supporter base on Twitter, and I, I've enjoyed the journey this whole way. But I strictly focused on the different types of uh, ways to make money. I didn't talk about football too much. Yeah, it was in the background. I'll have conversations. But majority of my spaces was consisted of just how can I make money? How can we make money as a group? And how can we build together and just constantly grow? Yeah, how is the Dream yeah. Big thing going? The I have one of those, Dream Big, Be Big. So I, I don't know if you went to my uh went to our um the website or discord but we definitely put it on hold for a second i wanted the market to just settle down I know a lot of people were losing funds just trying to see what the community was saying and a lot of people really aren't buying nfts that much they are but things have slowed down and i'm waiting for the right opportunity to open market again and nothing has changed still the same mission mission i'm still trying to find ways to build financial literacy in people's everyday life um we just have you know life hits sometimes <laughs> uh so many things has happened over the last two years so we'll see uh here in the near future i was so excited you were my first uh white i got white listed or something that's when i learned how to do it was pretty exciting i was like oh i love the dream catchers the dream catchers in general the community the people i met that supported the mission that's still going on. It's, it's amazing to find a group of people who are like-minded, want to see you succeed just as much as them and finding those selfless people because it isn't about making money. It's about helping and building a community of people working towards a similar goal. Word. Yeah, man. Met Lucas Bean, the man, the myth, the legend. Lucas, Ooh. I've been wanting to talk to you about something. So, What's your thoughts on this whole topic of uh, the U.S. dollar? I was looking at um, some information online, you know, doing my due diligence. And yes, the talking point is it is in jeopardy, but supposedly it would be over years and maybe not even in our generation where the U.S. dollar would collapse. So I'm just curious to what your thoughts on or even if you even have any. 
I, uh, I always have thoughts on this stuff. I, I, I don't want to spend too much time on it just because it's all speculation. But Very true. To me, I think there's going to be a window of time. The U.S. government, like, so back in the 1930s, um, I base it on history. So all my opinions are based on history. Uh, back in the 19, like I would say 1933, FDR basically, came, I, I have a podcast episode about this too, if you guys ever want to hear it. You, know, you can be one of like, uh, you know, the 100 people that listen to that episode. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's basically in 1933, FDR basically said you can't own gold anymore, but specifically gold, these gold eagle coins. And he gave you, he gave like a window of time where you could turn in the gold six months, I think it was, or like, I don't remember exactly how long it was, but it was, it was around like six to 12 months and you got to turn it in. And then after that, it's illegal to basically own those gold coins. Like you just can't have those. And if someone had them, they would get in trouble for owning them. I don't remember even remember like what the trouble wow. was because they want, they needed the funds. They were in a, they were in a great, the great depression. So in 1933, he introduced what's called the new deal. And the new deal basically was like, going to fund all like reconstruction of like highways and dams and bridges and all sorts of stuff, making like the United States, like one of the best easily traversed countries in the world. And, you know, he, he also had got the idea from Germany because of the Autobahn and stuff like that, the highway system that they started building there too. So he basically thought of that and he's like, we need money to do this. And we also need gold to back the dollar because again, they were in a great depression and no one had confidence anymore in the US dollar. That's the reason why all these banks went out of business, like out of business. They had runs on banks in the hundreds back then, these small banks. So that's why the Great Depression actually happened. There was no checks and balances. That's where the FDIC came from, where they insured deposits in a bank. The government now insured deposits in a bank. Like that didn't exist before the Great Depression. That's why everybody lost everything. And they were like, there was like homeless encampments, like literally in Central Park. Um, and it was an interesting scenario. So anyway, they gave time for you to turn in these gold coins. Sorry, this is all from memory. So just, uh, you know, bear with me for a second. And I think that's what's going to happen to crypto. I think they're going to allow for a window of time. And I'm not talking about Bitcoin because I believe that that's kind of untouchable. There's just far too much money in there and too many lobbyists to allow and too many pockets that are being lined with Bitcoin that I think they will allow there's going to be a U.S. backed stable coin or a CBDC is what they call it, I think, right now, and it's going to be owned by the owned and controlled by the U.S. government, and they're going to give you us at some time to turn in our basically our transact from the crypto we own to the crypto that they control, and then they're going to make it illegal for us to actually interact and trade with certain types of crypto. That's my assumption, and it's only because. I make this based on history, and I, I also base this on if you guys have seen any of these testimonies in like courts and stuff like that of like people who are like questioning tech leaders, they have no idea what they're talking about. It's ridiculous. Like these these lawmakers don't have a literally a clue of what they're doing. They don't hire people that understand tech to actually guide them through their questioning or anything. And they sound like complete morons. So they will probably just leverage history and say, Hey, what did FDR do? Or, Hey, you know, tell me a way to do this. So it works. They'll just take an old model from history and say, yeah, let's apply that to this. Cause we can't think of any creative way of fixing this because we're not creative. And 
yeah, I think that's what will happen. They'll give us a window of six to 12 months, turn in our crypto, and then only use their digital currency. And by the way, we've been using digital currency since credit cards have existed. Exactly. We've been using, we've been using it like all this stuff has been like, that's what this is. Like my money in my bank right now is a digital currency theoretically because it doesn't really exist. I don't have a stack of cash sitting here, you know, or gold bars, like it's not real, right? So I go onto my bank and it's, I log in and pay bills with the money and all that other stuff. And it's like, well, wait, where is it really? It's just doesn't, it doesn't really exist. So it's like, we've been using that kind of method for, I mean, probably if you really want to go back in history, I could actually make an argument that we've been using credit, which is virtual currency or virtual debt for thousands of years. But digital currency, since credit cards have been around, which is literally a credit card is just virtual debt. It's money that you have to pay back in the future and usually high interest rates. I use this so. same example uh, over like the last year, two years, whenever I first got into crypto, explaining it to friends and family. I'm like, you have already been slowly been introduced into this digital currency world over time you get it so whenever you say right? six to twelve months are you saying like later down in life or like our generation or whenever the newer generations come oh no no the digital the digital currency thing will happen within the next couple of years if not like this year even I think the digital currency thing if they really want to wipe out crypto use like that's like third party crypto use that's really decentralized where they can't really take chunks of money from you and like they have again they're they hired a whole bunch of like people to come take money from you that they think that you owe them kind of a thing so you know it's kind of scary i definitely think too. it's go, oh, oh go sorry, ahead sorry lucas there was a pause sorry yeah no i, I was trying to just connect them back to my system here go ahead i think what's kind of scary about that though is then they could also repeat history i mean by then removing the US dollar completely and having everything be digital and then they can actually yeah, absolutely turn it that is off. definitely what's going to happen like, yeah so yeah, like that's going to that's going to happen for sure yeah so. and that's like there's a lot of uh controversy going on where people are going to banks and they're wanting all their money out and they can't get all their money out because they don't actually have it and all this no. stuff digital that's the beauty of digital currency the US government no longer has to print money. They could just push a button and there's like a million or 10 billion more dollars in the digital currency pool. Right. It's not, it doesn't have to be blockchain in order for it to be a digital currency. I'm just saying like blockchain can be used to actually track it and have ledgers that can't be really manipulated, but they don't, I, I don't want people knowing what I have in my bank account to you. <laughs> not really, right? Right. I mean, so, uh, crypto, scary. like, yeah. And that, well, the thing is, like, the government will know. And the, the scary part of that is, like, you could take, you know, right now, you could take like $500 you make. Let's just say you sell something that you bought like 10 years ago and you make like $500 or $1,000, or $1, right? You make $1,000 and someone buys it in cash. You already paid taxes on that item, right? You already bought that item, but then you put that cash back into your bank. And if it's digital, they're going to be like, wait, where did that thousand dollars come from? Like what's going on here? But it, like, it won't be cash anymore. It'll just be 
I mean, think about this also, like how often do you even use cash anymore? That's the evidence you should like use to see. Yeah, exactly. When I was a waiter, it was amazing because everybody, like I would say 80% of people used cash, 80 to 90% of people used cash. It was a long time ago. It was great. Cash is king back then, you know, like, and now like 90% use card only and like 10% use cash. It's very rare for cash. So it's, it's less lucrative to be like a waiter because I, I waited tables through undergrad. So it was pretty, it was a pretty great job to have anyway. So it's going to be easier for the IRS to track individuals or the government to track people's, um, money. Oh, basically. They're not gonna try, so here's the, so here's the thing. The way they work is if they think you did it, you, you did your math wrong. They just take money out of your bank or, or they just garnish your wage. So if you have like a, if you have a paycheck coming in, Tim, like let's say you make like 20 grand a month or let's say it's 10 grand a month just for, just to make it really nice and easy round. If they say, Oh, Tim, you did your math wrong last year. We're going to, you didn't give us enough money. You're, you're making 10 grand a month. We're going to take two grand out a month until you make us whole um, for the amount of money we think you owe us. They're not even, there's not even going to be, they're not even going to send you a letter about it. You're just going to, Money's just going to start being, maybe they'll send you a letter. Maybe they'll send you an email. I don't know. But they'll just start taking money away. It's annoying, though, because, like, whenever I um, got to the Jaguars, uh, got into a different tax bracket, and originally I didn't take out as much taxes as I needed. So come around tax season, I had to pay taxes, which is cool. I, I wasn't tripping. I had the money saved. Um, but then the following year, I did the same thing and I changed teams and supposedly they didn't think I made as much as I did. So long story short, they asked me for proof and I sent them all my information. Long story short, they owed me some money. They still haven't paid that back yet, bro. It's been like two, almost three years now. So it's annoying that they can do that whenever we mess up, but they aren't held to the same standards. Yeah, because you're not equal in their eyes. None of us are equal in their eyes. You're not rich enough to push back and have it mean something. Unfortunately, even if you're a millionaire, it doesn't mean anything. You have to be a billionaire now, right? You have to actually have pull and connections with senators, congressmen, congresswomen, you know, stuff like that. Like you actually have to be able to pull, like move the needle. And then it matters. Then they treat you differently. The 1%. Because you got so much money. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, to be in the top 3%, all you have to do is make $400,000 a year. To be in the top like 1%, you have to make like millions, but it's not a lot. It's not as much as you think. To be in the 1%, all you have to do is make, I think you just have to be a millionaire and you're in the 1%. So. Do you think that's going to push people into um, like the other people, say in lower income brackets, like people are probably going to start bartering for things. Pen, let me, let me, Pen, let me explain something to you. This is so easy. And, uh, you could be a millionaire in a year. If you focused on being a millionaire in a year, you could focus, if you focused on these things and learned new, like tools to put in your toolbox, you could easily make multiple revenue streams every single day, every single week, every single month, every single year. 
and change the way you like look at money and business and, and everything. But the thing is like what the 1% know or what the people in this world who actually know how to do this stuff is that nobody's consistent. 99% of humans are like locked into this mode of instead of creating, they consume. And when you're a consumer, they win. When you create things, you win. I'm that's a and great point because that's one talking point in, um, in the black, in some of the black communities is that we are some of the biggest consumers in America. We, I think we make made up like one point some trillion dollars uh, in the market. And if we was one of the, how many countries, how many, um, ah, I think it's like 200 and something countries where, oh, how am I supposed to say this? Long story short, let me just backtrack. We make up like one point something trillion dollars in the market, but we are some of the biggest consumers and not some of the individuals who sell people things. So me, I'm trying to find a way to find groups of friends to change this narrative and this thought process of being a consumer, but so much more of a seller now or an individual who offers a service to individuals to basically purchase, to make their That's life it. easier. That's it right there, Tim. So it's not just like, hey, I'm going to paint pretty pictures and I hope someone buys them, right? It's not, hey, I'm going to create, um, you know, some like really cool, like in real life gadget. Right. And then hope somebody, hope somebody sees it somewhere at some time. It's a, a process you build. The process is what you need to build, which is, Hey, I have X. Now how do I leverage X to create Y, Z, W, all these revenue streams off of that. You can't just create one thing and expect to get like wealthy off of it or have like a one revenue stream, like a job. Exactly. And be able to, re to rely on it because if you rely on a job, it's literally at the whim of your the CEO whether you have a job tomorrow or today or like the next year or two. The pandemic yeah. showed. I mean, the pandemic exposed a lot, actually. It did, man. It did. And there's like I, I pinned up a tweet. Um, I don't know if you guys want to read it, but it's basically it just says money isn't made; it's only transferred from those who consume to those who create. And Netflix is a company that creates stuff and buys creative things that we then consume like watching TV is one of the biggest things that all human beings do. We sit there in front of Netflix, Hulu, Disney plus YouTube, all that stuff. And we consume, 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 consume because, and there's people out there that will literally give you their playbook. Here is my playbook on how to win at doing X and they know that 99% of the people could have the playbook and they still won't do X because people, humans are, again, I've said this for years, but you can always count on humans to lazy. do two things. Yeah, lazy and, and inconsistent. inconsistent. I remember Lazy Lucas and inconsistent. Being, you I know it, notes. man. I, it's amazing, man. It's, that is literally, I can't, like, I'm surprised. It feels like sometimes people don't, like, listen to me ever. But, man, Tim, you got it, man. Lazy and inconsistent. That's it. And the reason why we're that way it's because it's in our DNA. It's not like it's your fault. You're not lazy because you want to be lazy. You're lazy. People are lazy and inconsistent because our brains are wired to stop us from change because change is bad. You know, it's this question mark that's on the other side of like the unknown. Like, what if I fail? What if this happens? Like back in the old days, like millions of years ago when humans evolved, we were worried about survival. So that stuff is 
ingrained in our brain, even 10,000, 15,000 years ago, we made, if we actually made a change to our routine that gave us food and like shelter and we're like, Oh, let's, let me walk five miles further than I usually did looking for stuff that would, that could mean life or death. And that's why we have to like trick our brains into like, Hey, stop watching Netflix and go write an article. Stop watching Netflix and go get on spaces. Stop watching Netflix and go create something that might be valuable at some point. Facts. No, most definitely. But, uh, go ahead, Penn. You had your hand up, Penn. Sorry about that, Tim. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no. Thank you. I just, uh, so there was, I've, I've been researching and developing and getting all the things that to, and, and it finally came down to, there's like a lot of, you were talking about generations going back and stuff. Some, some of it's inner work that you have to do on your own mind side. And then it's the actual, then do it. You can't just sit around. Like I haven't sat around and watched TV and I don't even know how long. So it's like, I do. Oh my God. <laughs> so I could say, so I could say that, like, I could literally say right now, Oh yeah, I'm so good at like, you know, doing this and that. No, I catch myself going down rabbit holes on Instagram reels on YouTube videos, trying to learn something new on TikTok videos, trying to learn something new. And then I, it's an hour later and I'm like, Oh shit, the thing I needed to do. Now I just watched videos all day, like for like an hour. I'm like, what a waste. And now you become like demotivated. Then you're like, how do I get that steam back that I had, you know, an hour ago? It's really difficult. And that's why a lot of people turn to like, I don't want to say this, but drugs, like stimulants, uppers and downers and all sorts of stuff. Because people, rather than the pain they would feel by actually doing this stuff, they'd rather have a, a couple of drinks to numb that numb that pain of like, I know I have to do this, but let me uh, just, let me have a couple of drinks. I know I have to do this, but let me just like smoke a little weed and I'll just forget my problems for like an hour. So like, that's the stuff, that's the stuff that we, they want us doing. That's why they legalized. I'm not saying, by the way, I'm not some crazy conspiracy theorist. Like people can smoke weed and drink all they want and do drugs. Like I'm fine with that. I don't care. But just know that if you want to do something and you keep saying you're going to do something, you keep saying you want to do something, you want to do something different. You want to like, different things that happen to you in life. You actually have to take like extreme action to have like extreme results that you're looking for. When I got on the spaces, I took extreme action, 10 hour minimum days on Twitter spaces. I knew what the results were and I kept cr like grinding it out and working at the same time as running a company I was running at the, at the same time. Cause it's, it's like, not, what do you, not easy. you spend a majority of your time on? Are you, are you doing something that's productive or is the majority of your leisure, your, your leisure time spent recovering from doing something that hurts hurt your body, hurts your mind. It's, it's all about where you're putting most of your attention to. Cause it's, it's okay to have some fun leisure time. Do like Absolutely. do what makes you happy, but what are you spending majority of 24 hour day on? So true, Even right Instagram, there. Instagram and YouTube, like, what does your feed consist of? Is it about finances, or is it about a TikTok trend of people dancing? Is it about how to scale a company, or is it about fighting or all sports? I don't. I'm an athlete, and I on Twitter, I barely follow any sports related things. 
it's all about money on here. There you go. See that? And again, it's how you separate your leisure from your fun. The, the real hack is to not separate the two, but somehow try to blend the two so you can actually be entertained at the same time you're, you're basically building something new or it associates with your business. I actually just happen to fall into this like category of I've been doing business for so long that it's now like my hobby and like something that's exciting to me every day. Like I wake up going, man, what, what mountain can I conquer today when it comes to like business? But it's like, I don't know. It's just fun, dude. Building things for me is fun and I tie it together. Don't get me wrong. I still watch Netflix guys. Like I'm, I am so guilty of the stuff I'm talking about right now. I watch Netflix. I watch YouTube videos. I just, I use, you know, basically I consume content as my drug of choice. But one way I don't drink or is that's research and development. You might hear something (sighs) on something that inspires you to do something like it's all, you know, maybe there is a reason why you were watching that. I mean, you're, you're gathering ideas and information. Nope. No, I, I don't disagree. I don't disagree with research. So research, you can never do enough research, but you need to take extreme action at some point. If you just keep saying, oh, I'm going to do research, I'm just going to watch content, do research, get get like motivated from this research, like you'll get stuck, stuck in a loop of researching, 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 and never taking action. The key is I'd rather take, I'd rather have an ounce of action than 17 tons of just watching content to get pre- to prepare. Because action is probably the best thing for you to actually learn from. Take action, like writing a tweet is a great example. Write a tweet, post it. If it takes off, cool. If it doesn't, then you know, okay, that didn't work. That's taking action is in very simplistic form. If you want to do something different with your life, stop watching YouTube, stop watching Netflix, stop trying to like put all this like effort into like learning something by watching, learn by doing Doing is there's, the most powerful thing I've ever done in my life. There's this one quote. I, I, I have a lot of quotes that uh, I tend to just constantly go through my mind. And one came to mind just then is uh, a vision without action is merely a dream. And that alone is why, I ain't going to say that alone, but that's part of why my Twitter handle or my motto or the dream catchers is what it is because I understand that concept or that thought process. You have to take action clearly. Like I definitely understand you, Lucas. Yeah. And again, I am just as guilty as like everybody else in the world of consuming content. So I'm not saying, you know, Oh, do this. Cause I'm an expert at like totally, you know, just doing it. I've definitely taken quite a bit of action myself for sure. Clearly. Um, but I can tell you, I've done my fair share of consuming as well. So Without consuming, you don't really know what kind of actions to take. Go ahead, uh, Tammy. Hello. Hey. Uh, first of all, it, I feel like I walked into like an amazing space. Um, I haven't been in your spaces before, and I feel like I'm at a TED Talk or something. <laughs> <laughs> I actually am giving a TED Talk this year. Go figure. Really? <laughs> yeah, I am. Yeah. Um, I'm there. I- I oh I'm there too. I love this conversation, um, Tim. I I no I mean I've fouled you before too, but I just love everything that's being dropped here. Um, but I do you know want to ask you as far as like, do you recommend um, things like you know and 
the audiobooks like 12 months to a million rich dad poor dad um do you recommend like li- the art of the deal listening to not those? the art of the deal no but yes the other stuff 100 tell me tell me like your number one audiobook that i should listen to to like change my mindset um, you know, it's a, it's a good question. I think there's a combination of books, but the number one things you should take away from these books, which by the way, no one really distills for a lot of people that are like, just go read the book. Um, it's the things that will change your life is literally really change your life is to take extreme action, like take action on things, stop planning for things and take action on them. It's so, it's such an easy formula action plus consistency create success. If you came in here, Tammy, and started a space right now, an audio space every day, and you cranked through audio spaces for like four or five hours a day, I would even say go eight hours a day. It's going to sound crazy. I know, right? But that's extreme action. And it's an extreme example. And that's what I did. I created extreme, like I, what's called top of funnel, kind of like notoriety where people would like come onto Twitter spaces and be like, wow, Lucas's space is open. Go figure. He's on here all the time. Let me join and see what he has to say. I was the most popular Twitter space host for like an, a year and a half. And I just couldn't, I could not put in that much time anymore. Like once you, uh, you definitely burn out when you're burning the candle at both ends. So I, I take, I think that let me distill it down to you is really take extreme action and create something instead of consuming it consume to the point where you think you're a novice at it and then start practicing what they preached to you instead of listening and trying to become moderately better at it you can become moderately better at it by doing it i learned more so i i went to grad school obviously and got a bunch of like knowledge behind me and I used none of it. My first job out of grad school was at a uh, dot com. And I learned more in the first six months to, to a year there than I learned from all of my coll- undergrad and graduate school. I used maybe like one or two things from undergrad knowledge wise to build my career and stuff like that. And I can tell you, Nothing beats practice. Nothing beats just doing what you want to do in real life. Just be like, look, here's the deal. I might not be perfect at this. I might actually suck at this. But you have to be brave enough to suck at something new. So can I ask you a question? That time that you put in um, on Twitter spaces, like how did it impact your life? What did that do for you? Well, uh, I can tell you right now, Tim is a friend of mine now. If it wasn't for Twitter Spaces, I never would have met him. I would never have met Penn. I would never have met Jake here behind the Mintify account. I would never have met the Mintify founder, Evan, who's a really good dude as well. I would never have like literally met like probably thousands of people I know now because of Twitter Spaces. I also would never have had like opportunities where I, because I didn't put my, I I never was one of these people that thought like what I had to say was important. And I knew I was a good speaker and I figured, I did think that the stuff I said was valuable, but I'm like, who's going to listen to me? What I learned from Twitter spaces is everybody that hears me talk actually likes what I have to say. Like it's crazy, but people like what I, what I'm saying. And then like, like the examples I use and like the way, you know what I mean? Like in the, I try to include a lot of people and be very 
guess you could say, uh, welcoming because I come from a different type of life. Like I've run, you know, divisions of tech companies and also just like my own startups. I've been through acquisitions. I've been through all these things that I was in this little bubble where I was like famous to like 3000 people in total, like only 3000 people knew who I was. And those 3000 people ran the internet. Like they are like top executives at some of the biggest startups and biggest like tech companies in the world. But those were the only people who knew me. I came onto Twitter spaces and I started talking to people who are outside of my circles and what the message I was giving them resonated with them as well. And I was like, Oh, maybe I do have something to offer. Me and Tim were in some of the biggest crypto Twitter spaces that ever happened on Twitter, actually like thousands of people back in like April and May and June of 2021 were in our spaces while me, Tim, and a bunch of other, you know, very heavy, influential people were up on spaces. And from what I said, I keep, I kept getting invited back. And it wasn't like some crazy conspiracy space. It was literally a financial space. And I didn't even consider myself smart when it came to like crypto and finance and all that stuff. And yet the stuff I said somehow resonated. It built up my confidence to the point where even though I know I have this amazing experience and background of like 20 plus years in the tech and startup space, crazy, you know, who cares about the education, but I do have a lot of education too, like based on that as well. It made it so that it, it showed me that I'm taking my, the stuff that I actually want to do and taking it to the next level. And I'm currently doing that now. So that value is unbelievable. Oh, sorry about that. Lewis. No, 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 don't worry. Go, go for it, brother. No, same with me as well. I wasn't like an expert or anything, but I came from the background of being an athlete, understanding how to speak publicly. And I used that platform that I built over the years to get people's attention, I guess. But what really caught people's attention was me asking questions, me wanting to learn. And by me wanting to learn and getting on stage and being vulnerable enough to ask these questions. Cause I don't think it's dumb to ask questions. I think it's very, I think more people should be open to asking questions. Growing up, I used to ask questions and people used to make fun of me and me now, like asking questions now has me in a, a comfortable place and I'm still learning and I'm never comfortable with just where I am now. I'm constantly trying to get information. I think a lot of people perspective that I can't even know. Hey Tim, hey Tim, hey Tim, hey Tim, you're you're breaking up. Yo yo yo, you're you're breaking up majorly. Fix your internet real quick, like just uh, because it was like literally I could understand maybe one out of like four words you were saying there. You sound like a robot, bro. Sounded like Star Wars, Tim. Anyway, Tammy, like what, what, like, here's the deal. I didn't, I can't say like Twitter spaces, like the 5,000, I would say it's 5,500 hours now. I think it's more like 54 and change, but, but 5,500 hours in Twitter spaces. I can't say all those hours unbelievably like turned into something gold. Even if 500 of the 5,500 hours turned into something gold, it was enough. Um, it's like, I don't know if you've ever done anything like surfing or played a sport, but if you have that one, like for me, surfing was with that. Like I had this, if you, if you could surf all day out, like I, I used to spend like six hours, seven hours in the water surfing 
And all it took was one good wave, just one to make the six hours worth it. I could crash for six hours and catch one good wave and bam, it worked. Every time I'm in Twitter spaces, I make a new connection. At least I used to. And like today it's you, Tammy. Like I know the rest of the people because you came up to talk and said, hello, like this is the power of Twitter spaces. Now I know you. The next time you come into one of my Twitter spaces, I'm going to add you up right away. I'm like, sure, come on up. Because you raised your hand and said, hey, add me up. Yeah, and I mean, I understand the power of Twitter spaces and connections in this space because, you know, I'm friends now with, like, Hollywood producers and um, people that I would have never had access to. But I was wondering monetization-wise, like... Were you able to monetize on that time or is it more connections and opportunities? Like how do you, what do you see as the biggest success that you took from that? So the, the knowledge, first off, I think any time doing something, actually practicing something is never a waste of time. And it's always valuable in terms of like a funnel. And if you think of life as a funnel of things, and I'm not saying take the human aspect out of things, but just in order to understand it is take a funnel and at the top of the funnel is like your first initial conversations with people. You're, ma- you're building a relationship and you're networking at the top of this funnel. And then midway down the funnel, you're having people ask you more questions like you are asking me right now. And then eventually at the bottom of this funnel is whatever you want to have happen. Do you want someone to like, buy something from you? Do you want somebody to learn something from you? Do you want to just give without expecting something in return so you can actually share your knowledge and just like, in a way, create a fan of your, of you, right? That's what I care about is creating people that also resonate with what I have to say. I'm not looking for anything. Don't get me wrong. It would be amazing if I could be like a, a Twitter space host and get paid like paid well to do it, that would be amazing. Cause obviously I'm a halfway decent speaker. I've, you know, I remember calculating 20, I've waited 26,000 tables when I was a waiter, when I was an undergrad, 26,000 chances to be on stage in front of a new audience. People are always like, how do you know how to public speak without sounding like an idiot? I'm like, go become a waiter, go be a waiter. You get 26, you get thousands, you get hundreds of at bats every week to like literally be on stage in front of a new table, which is basically a new audience. And then you have to like woo them into giving you money. Basically you're singing for your supper in a way that is unbelievably powerful. And I think to go back to your question, which is, have you been able to monetize? Not as much as I would like to have like, yeah, it would be amazing. Like I said, to be a well-paid space host. And to have like amazing guests on and all that other stuff. That would be like probably the biggest win for me is that. Now this right here, we're talking in this tiny space of like what of us, I think it's a total of eight of us in here. That is a, a road to what I want eventually. Maybe. But maybe there's an opportunity on that path that gets me somewhere else that I didn't even know I wanted until I, until that happened. That's the thing you have to, that's how I treat spaces to me, at least. Go ahead, uh, Jake, go ahead for it. You see the, uh, the tweet Elon posted 40 minutes ago? I did not. 
He says, uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but apply to offer your followers subscriptions of any material from long form text to hours long video. So it looks like kind of a Substack uh, type subscription for, on Twitter. Yeah, they already had that. Remember, it was review the the newsletter thing. Oh, did they? Okay. Yeah, well, it looks you like whatever what... this is is new. Where do you where do I apply though? There's no apply link. It says um, where I think you said yeah, just tap on receive settings. Oh, got it. Okay. Yeah, I've already done. I've already had. I can't turn off my monetization. Like I, I they gave it to me like um back in July of 2021, and you can't turn it off. But let's see here. Accessibility, privacy, monetization. Oh, if it's just, it's the same thing I already have, dude. Like it's, it's just like super follows. Nothing. Why did he just announce it? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Maybe they just released it to everybody now. Cause super follows was like, you had to have a certain amount of followers. Okay. Like when I got it, I got it because I was friends with the, uh, I'm, I was friends with the head of consumer marketing. I, I know, I, at least before he got laid off, I I knew the head of consumer marketing. I knew the product lead for space, Twitter spaces, you know, like all these people at Twitter. And like, I would say nine out of 10 of the people I knew are gone now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they gave it to me. And then I was like, once I turned on super follows, they were like, oh, by the way, and this is like after I turned it on, you can't turn it off. And I'm like, what? Like That's I need to... Weird. Yeah, so it's been live. It just now, now I can turn it off. I can see the switch here. It says, oh, toggle on and off monetization. That's amazing. Because I think it kind of, the way they do super follows kind of is confusing to me. It's If it's confusing to me, it's confusing to most people, then that means. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, the requirements for this are pretty low. Just 500 followers, 25 yep. tweets in the past 30 days, and yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. So they, back in the day, it was literally you had to have 10,000 followers, you had to tweet a lot, blah 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 blah. When I started taking Twitter serious back in 2021, like I've had, I'd never took Twitter seriously back in like 2008, 2009. I just tweeted complaints, and somehow I got, still got 14,000 followers by the end. By the time I was like just like hanging out. Um, but it was because I was like, you know, people were like, oh, he's the head of marketing for these big companies. Let's follow him. I'm like, yeah, whatever, dude. I don't really care. So, um, yeah, I hope that makes sense, Tammy. I don't know if I, I got sidetracked there a little bit, but does that no, make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, everything made sense. And um, you answered exactly, the, you know, the way that uh, um, made it. Uh, viable, you know, that, that, that is something that you did. And it's, and I, you know, what I loved most about your response to me was that you said, um, you know, maybe on your path there, you might come across an opportunity that takes you on, takes you somewhere that you didn't even know that you wanted, which is how I kind of uh, come into Twitter every single day. I wake up in the morning and then I come in and I, I, did you, oh, I cut out there. They're doing my lawn. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> and, uh, but I come into Twitter every day and I'm kind of like, um, I ask for things to be put in my path that I'm supposed to, uh, find and to kind of guide me to the people that I'm supposed to interact with that day. So, um, which happens, you know, it's crazy. Like, 
I will randomly like just check something and I'll see something. I'll go to it. And the next thing you know, I, I make a connection that changes my path. And, and I love that, that positive mindset. Yeah. Don't, don't ever be afraid to like try something small bets. Always make small bets on yourself. And uh, sometimes when you make a small bet on yourself, you find something that's worth double and tripling down on. And then you're like, wow, this really feels good. I'm really making an impact and it feels good. So how could I turn this into not only just an impact and feeling good, but into possibly some kind of shift in my way of doing business? Maybe I stop doing X so I can start doing Y and then figure out how to make money doing Y. Or you keep doing X as I, I, there's also a, a very famous quote out there that says, like, do what you have to until you can do what you want to do. And it's literally keep working the job that pays you the, pays the bills. And then like after hours, no matter how hard a work it is, and it's ridiculously hard. It's so easy to watch YouTube and Netflix and just zone out afterwards. And instead you go out and like actually build for yourself and start make, creating something. And I'm not saying you can't just go out and create, you can't just go draw on the sand can't just go like make a make a, a digital art some digital art on Photoshop or like Blender and expect it to sell. You can't just go and do that, right? You gotta actually learn a new skill or trait or something like that. Build, build like tools in your toolbox so that you can actually leverage later. And then one day you can actually leverage it to make money, right? I mean, lots of calculated small bets turns into possibly lots of lots of like small revenue sources that then augment the revenue source, which is your main income. And then maybe one day you can actually leave that and go all in on and bet on yourself. Well, I think that you <laughs> should find a way instead of doing like newsletters, um, you should monetize like small Ted talks. <laughs> so if I could, talk, I would. <laughs> well, talk to Elon. <laughs> Right? Because that, you know, that's like going in and listening to someone talk about. Um, so, for example, masculine, like men are on average higher on trait aggression or, or conscientious. Who's that? I Is have, that you? That wasn't me. Oh, I thought that was you. I'm like, uh, what are you playing here? <laughs> no, that wasn't me. I thought you did something. No. Was that was Elon because I said his name. That was the weirdest thing. I literally thought you were like playing something for me. I'm like, what is she playing? I started listening to it. I'm like, no. What? <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. It's, the interruption was super weird. Maybe Twitter's like, maybe Spaces is acting up. Go That's ahead. What, what were you I saying? I was telling you. It was Elon. Like I They're said, merging. It, it even sounded like him. <laughs> yeah. So you were saying, I'm sorry, something about TED Talks? I can't remember. Oh, no, that's what I'm saying, though, is that, honestly, there should be a way. I mean, people, it's unfortunate to say, but people don't want to read anymore, right? Um, like, even Agreed. myself, when I asked you, I'm like, which audiobook should I listen to? Because I can clean, I can do my art, I can do whatever I need to do while I'm getting that information, you know, brought to me. Um, so... If, if Twitter had a way for you to do like little, even like 10 minute uh, TED Talks in the morning on, like uh, Gary does that, right? Gary V on his way to um, work or whatever, he'll record himself 
whatever his thought is for the day, he'll record himself and it's a motivational kind of go do this um, little speech. And I love watching them, but I, I, that would be a great way for you to monetize Twitter. <laughs> Yeah, maybe you're right. I might start. I might start doing that. I'm already getting into video right now. I'm literally shooting video today on stuff like that for long form video to put to post onto YouTube, and then I'm going to slice that up and put it across Instagram and all the other social channels to then drive traffic back to YouTube where you can actually monetize. So that's definitely a, an option. And Tammy, a great idea as well. Um, Mar Marco, go ahead, Marco. Thank you, Lucas. Yes, you got my name correct. <laughs> um, I was just busy listening into Tammy. I'll double down on what Tammy said. Great, great space. I find this um, really enthusing and enlightening, actually. But uh, I, I'm going to slightly disagree with Tammy on the TED Talks, Lucas TED Talks. I'm not, I'm not sure that's going to sell. But what I think would sell Lucas is Lucas Life Coaching. I think you'd be brave. <laughs> no way. Yeah, I, I can't do I, it, man. No, I cannot do life. I, I think life coaching I, is I such think, a. I think you could do, but you could do business life coaching or life business coaching. I don't know. Cause I was thinking as you were talking and I've heard you many times, I've, I've popped into your rooms a few times and I've heard you many times and you, you uh, not to blow smoke up the proverbial, of course, but uh, you talk a lot of common sense, but a lot of, um, but also um, things that, you know, and I'm in the startup founder world, of course, but I'm founders, you know, um, a lot of things that founders just don't know from. So you've obviously got some experience there. You've obviously got some knowledge. You're connected with people. You've probably and I think your bio says storyteller. So uh, as well as being a storyteller, I'm sure you love to hear stories. So sharing that knowledge uh, from a, a life business coach perspective, I think you could certainly monetize that great deal so um I'm, I'm not thinking the ted talks i'm thinking more on the life coaching side yeah i have a hard time with life coaching stuff and, the, and here's why it's uh it's ripe with like a bunch of people that are like charlatans and snake oil salesmen you know what i mean like there's there's people that have zero accolades zero credentials zero pedigree in any way shape or form they took some like life coaching seminar and now they're like certified life coaches. And I think it's, I don't know. I think it's, it feels very fraudulent. <laughs> I, I agree. But all, all I would say to that is, and I'm making a guess here, Lucas. Okay. <laughs> you have to be a person of a certain, above a certain age to be a valid life coach. <laughs> because if you're in your twenties or thirties, there is no way you have had enough of life experiences to be able to proffer any guidance to anyone else. In my yeah, no, I, I, you're, you're absolutely right, by the way. And I've definitely met a few people that are like, wow, I could learn so much from this woman or this man right here. Like that has like this crazy, amazing experience, but I, you know, there's just, there's just people out there that you just see. And I, I agree with you hundred percent. The problem is how do you separate the wheat from the chaff in this case, because of all those people out there that have no pedigree. And then I found myself, literally, I found myself on stages like on tech conversations of like real tech, like deep business, like how to build like a company from the ground up tech wise space, you know, like how to like, you know, do leverage, you know, business to business, like partnerships, things like that, where, I mean, it's pretty deep stuff in product development in terms of like tech product development. And then I'm on stage with people that literally have zero 
credentials that are just like, oh yeah, I built uh, X and it's like, yeah, X is not exactly what I'm on. Like I built, I built real things and you built, I don't know. But if we, it's just weird, man. If we, if we, if if I may just to finish off, but if we take it, sure. If we just take it sort of one, one step further, if you like, and maybe you do this already, this goes back to Tammy's question about monetization. And for me, monetization, you know, we're all different, right? So we're all here for different reasons and therefore monetization can come in different, differing forms. So you talked about it from a perspective of, um, you know, sponsorship. And I guess that could be, you know, lucrative to a point, but, uh, you know, you know, you, you've obviously got some commercial awareness. So many times I've heard you speak, you've got some business acumen, you've got some commercial awareness and you've got, uh, you obviously got business experience. So uh, monetization for you is if I was a first time founder or a second time founder and I pop, popped into Lucas's spaces and I was listening to you. I would probably reach out to you and go, hey, Lucas, you know your stuff and you talk a lot of common sense and I've got some gaps. Would you be an advisor for me? And of course, as an advisor, you would get half a percent, one percent, two percent, three percent, whatever, whatever, you know, the, the value is to being an advisor. And then this for me then plays to your point about all the little bits that you're building. So you could be advisor for 10, 20 companies. So you've built all these little percentages, which gives you a whole big percentage. Doesn't necessarily mean that each each company um, is going to fly, but it does give you skin in the game. It's cost you nothing, and all you're doing is passing on your experience to those founders. So that's a form of monetization stroke. Let's call it business coaching as opposed to life coaching, if you like. And I'll, I'll just finish off with Tammy. You know, I came I. I started with Clubhouse. The reason I went into Clubhouse and then here was, um, you know, the world, we were unable to move and fly. And I learned to listen, just to sit in the in the audience and listen to founders and people pitching their businesses. Um, here in Web3, you call them projects, but I'll call them businesses because I'm old school. And I could um, get a very good gauge on people as to whether I thought they extolled the right behaviors to be able to su- succeed in a startup business. And from that, some of those got invested into um, as, as well as also when you have a number of port codes, you know, a big challenge for port codes is staff finding good developers or good marketing people or good salespeople. Audio spaces are a fantastic recruitment um, tool for ascertaining uh, people, whether they have the skills. If you listen to them often enough and you and you dig a little bit deeper, maybe you have a conversation with them, obviously not identifying that you're looking for a particular job role. Um, but you get to learn about whether these people have potentially what it takes to succeed in a job role, which is something that a CV will never, ever tell you. It's only by meeting people or listening to people and hearing their origin stories or their backstories, you can gauge whether somebody has a chance of succeeding in a particular job role. So I've always argued audio, social audio is brilliant as a recruitment tool. That also could be, Tammy, to your point, somebody might want to recruit you because they've heard you often enough and you have some domain expertise. So I'll shut up now. I just wanted to 
share my sort of perspective on that. That was a really good perspective, Marco. Glad you came up, I mean, see, Tammy, also a good example of Marco changing things up was he just came up and he, you know, he listens and stuff like that. We never would have known what Marco does, Marco's knowledge, all that stuff that goes with his background. And he clearly articulated his message and this now opened up an opportunity for Marco to come up and like share his knowledge with us. Like that's huge. I think that's huge. I just followed you, Marco, too. I never would have followed you probably if I didn't hear you speak. <laughs> you could have DM'd me. I never would have got it because it goes to spam filter. But now that you spoke, the power of the word is so interesting and changes perspectives of people. Well, Lucas, you and I have been in the same Twitter back channel for six, eight months. Um, and we've never spoken. And I know you so well because you send the same three gifts every single time. Which, <laughs> You're right. Which, oh, which my God. Which absolutely cracks me up. I've got to be honest. It, <laughs> it's funny. You know, when you, when you wake up in the morning and you posted a message in that back channel, so you know which one it is, the T-U-O one. Yeah, I know, yeah, I, yeah, I know which one you're yeah, talking about. Yeah. And I just look at it and I get... I get one of the same three gifts from Lucas and I smile every time. And this is still eight <laughs> months later. So thank you. Keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. I'm going to post one in there right now. Bam. That's just for you, Marco. There are three takeaways that I have right now from Marco speaking. Number one. Well, first I want to say, uh, so number one, Lucas Life Hacks. <laughs> that would be a great name for your for your um, short um, subscription based talks. Uh, you're not a life coach, but you're doing life hacks, um, which could you know affect you in all kinds of ways. Second thing I took away was I need to know the name of the back channel because I, I'm not a part of it, so I need to. And third thing I took away, I think Marco wants me to come work for him. Is that what you were saying, Marco? Basically, I got that too. <laughs> you got a job. You have a job with Marco. Oh, my God. Look at that. I monetize just by stopping in today. Boom. <laughs> Love it. Marco, man, really good to have you up here. I, I I think more people, the more they share their voice and their opinions verbally, the more you just, I don't know, man, it just builds trust so quickly. And uh, it's pretty easy to build trust when you know what you're talking about. Well, there's, th there's three things that have never changed. And you will know this because you are a marketeer at the core, I'm guessing. I'm making an assumption here, but you mentioned marketeering. You know, for me, it's always been uh, trust, uh, authenticity, and therefore credibility. So if you can build the trust and the authenticity, typically you then get the credibility. And they're the three key component parts that you've got to have, whether it's a marketing strategy or a sales strategy, or you're just talking. You're just talking as a person. I meet you for the first time at, you know, at a conference or wherever it might be, Lucas. You know, they're the three things I would gauge that you're looking for when you meet people. Because if you don't get all three of those things, at some point in the conversation, you'll go, yeah, Marco, thanks. Uh, I need to go to the toilet. Or, no worry, uh, Marco, my phone's ringing. <laughs> Is my wife. <laughs> you make any excuse to get away. <laughs> true, true story. But yeah, it's not, I, I here's the thing, like, it's funny that you said that. I, I am, 
I have been in marketing for quite a while, but the reason why I'm in marketing, or at least people call me a marketeer, which I, I agree with, it, it's true. Um, the problem with that is that it's usually the biggest hole in the market or the biggest problem people are trying to solve in a business is marketing. It's usually like, how do I get my cost of acquisition down from like $16 to like $5 or $3 or $2? How do I take this product and make it better? And so it's marketable product. It's actually a useful product. And like the biggest problems that need to be solved are in marketing usually. And marketing and actually entails a lot of stuff. It's not just, Hey, let me, let me go out there and market it, you know, send an email, blah, 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 you know, garbage, garbage, garbage. There's no amount of marketing that can fix a broken product or a messed up product. Marketing touches on product development and I'm a product developer as well. Like I, I build slick products so that people can like the friction is gone. So if I start, a, if I build a company or if I work at a company and I'm building a marketing plan or strategy, 90 plus percent of that marketing strategy has to deal with user experience. And the user experience, if the user experience is broken or, or off, I go in and fix the user experience and work with the product development team or I become like, hey, I'm the head of product for right now until the product gets to be really good to the point of like where I feel like I can strongly market this in a frictionless way. Then I go back to like, okay, now we execute on marketing. But you have to fix the user and consumer experience first to make something unbelievably frictionless and then start acting and like promoting it and then iterate off of your promotion like, hey, we promoted it this way and people, the feedback loop we got was X. So now we have to do Y to correct the problem and now let's keep marketing it. And again, it's it's not just like getting people to use it. It's getting the cost of acquiring a person to use your product to give you feedback so that it becomes more frictionless down and for you to spend less dollars in marketing in order to actually acquire the similar or same type of user. The ultimate problems are always solved by the people that have the biggest PL, biggest line item on a PL. And the almost always is marketing. And that's why they cut marketing in like down markets because it's the largest and easiest thing to cut. Yet it's always a mis almost always a mistake to cut marketing during down markets. That's when you actually are able to like take over market share. And there's a lot of very successful brands that have actually done that, that you never would have known they actually did that. Like during, I'll give you a very recent example. It's, uh, what's that water called again? <laughs> like the, the uh, liquid death, liquid death. So there's a bunch of like alternative water brands out there right before the pandemic. And as soon as the pandemic hit, they cut marketing first because that's the first thing most companies do. It's a 1970s tactic of business model that was built in the 70s where it's like, oh, you know, for shareholders, we cut staff and that's how we maintain profit margins and upward, you know, upwards and to the right hockey stick kind of like growth. And that's, it's just an old way of doing business that has to be optimized, of course. And marketing, like I said, is one of those things. So once you, if you don't cut marketing, and you trim the fat at different locations in the company and like optimize some of your processes along the way, 
you're able to cut down costs other places and then double down on marketing when everybody else is pulling back. And that's when you still market share and actually own the competition. Uh, Liquid Death was a $20 million brand, maybe $30 million brand before the pandemic and is now valued at close to a billion dollars because they doubled down on marketing rather than actually pull back on marketing like the old mentality and methodology actually called for. Same thing happened in the 80s. I don't know if you guys remember Reebok. Do you guys remember Reebok? Reebok versus oh my Nike. God. There was a battle, Reebok versus Nike. Where's Reebok now? Right? You Have you heard of Reebok? Have you seen any Reebok commercials? Yeah, you don't wow. see Reebok anymore. They messed up during a downturn in the market when everybody was cutting budget, Nike doubled down on marketing and smoked Reebok. Now Reebok is nothing and Nike is everywhere, right? So who's collecting shoes right now that are Reebok? Nobody. Who's collecting shoes that are Nike? Everybody. All the shoe, all the shoe heads are literally have like closets full of Nikes and no one says Reebok anymore. You might be able to find some in Marshalls, you know what I mean? Like at the discount stores, but you will never find Reebok big anymore. And the same thing happened in 2008 too. Like a bunch of alternative shoe brands were around and then 2008 hit and all these alternative shoe, shoe brands crashed and they pulled back on marketing and the ones that doubled down are still here today and are actually shoe brands. And the other ones were all acquired for like, you know, pennies on the dollar fire sales is what they call them in startup world. A fire sale happened with these brands and they just sold out. You know, obviously the founders made a couple mil and, the companies got absorbed into the, uh, you know, the other brands. Go ahead, uh, Tammy. Don't you think that's kind of what's great about what's happening right now um, in Web3 is really the standard is becoming um, put your money into your uh, marketing team, your sales team, have them connect with the consumer, go about business a different way. And now with the growing AI and the tech coming, you can save money uh, by using, you know, artificial intelligence on your production team and your tech team um, and put all that money into the actual connection part of the business, which is reaching out to the consumers and creating a, a huge marketing, um, you know, drop or whatever that, that will uh, in cause inclusion and people wanting to be involved into the business. Yeah, that's a, that is a touchy subject because AI is kind of like just a really advanced search engine. AI kind of like does some menial tasks okay. It doesn't do them crazy well. And it's basically just like a force multiplier, I would call it. You know, like if you're a developer, a web developer or, or like a software developer, it multiplies your ability to like, basically it saves you time. It makes you super efficient. But then what do people do naturally when they become more efficient? They They basically force other people to take on more work. So... Let's just say you're, uh, I'm going to use just a, a software developer right now as an example. A software developer saves, what, 30, maybe 20, 30 hours a week using AI. All of a sudden, the, company's, the company that they work for is going to be, oh, well, seeing that you use AI to do all these things, here's another 30 hours of work. So it's going to, I think, 
people that are going to be leveraging AI to like build and do things for them are just going to be working this like more hours or about the same amount of hours. They just are going to be expected to get like three or 400% more productivity out of you. And that's just a new metric in a way, a metric of success that a company will track and then go, all right, well, you know, now that you're putting in your 40 hours, which now equals about 80 or 90 hours of work, we need X amount of input rather than Y amount of input like we used to expect. I don't know if that's setting you up for success or, or more failure. I don't know. Maybe AI could be writing code in the background, but currently AI is not attached to the web. It's kind of like in its own little sandbox. So I'm not sure how much AI can actually really, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love AI. I use it all the time. You know, I, it's such a cliche right now because everybody's writing about chat GPT for five hacks for chat GPT, 17 websites feel legal to know that are AI and all this other stuff. It's like, okay, great. AI and machine learning has been around forever. Like it really has been. I've used it to create logos and they've not created good logos. Like systems are only as smart as the person who's like prompting it. And it's like Google back in like the early 2000s. You actually, there was a talent to Googling things back then. And I think there's a talent of AI prompting as well. Like if you want to search on Google for something and you know how to use it the right way to Google forwards and backwards things and use different vernacular, you could actually use Google back in like 2002, 2003 and get better results than somebody else. And the same thing is, same thing is happening with AI. If you know how to prompt the right way, Prompting will get you results that other people don't know how to prompt will get you. But eventually, in a year, two maximum, maybe even less than this time, you'll be able to search for exactly what you want and it's going to give you the results instantly, making everybody a genius and creating like another person that can do all this menial work that took you forever to do. And now it's being done by AI in a smart way rather than the clunky, correctable way. You have to be the editor of whatever it writes, because it never writes anything perfectly. It's, it almost sometimes, I would say it sometimes creates more work for you because you now have to edit what AI just wrote for you. And then you have to like repurpose, like kind of like say, Hey, reject this, what you just wrote, and rewrite the whole thing. You push one button and then bam, it rewrites the whole thing. And you're still like, okay, I still got to correct 20% of this. So it's not like writing something that's perfect. It's writing something that's 80% perfect. And then you still have to go in and like read the entire thing. It's actually making people read again, I guess you could say. So I guess that's a good thing. I don't like reading either, Tammy. Even in grad school, I didn't read. I didn't crack one of my books and I still did pretty well. So I have to admit like reading is very antiquated, but it will definitely force you to start reading again because AI is all reading. So go ahead, Marco, your hand was up first and I'll go, go to pen. Thank you, Lucas. So, uh, as we hear on the TV shows, uh, your honor, my learned colleague opened the door. So Lucas, you are the perfect person to ask this question of. So you opened the door with the AI. So I'm going to test you here. What was the first iteration of AI? Well, I mean, do you mean mechanically? <laughs> That's as because as the first use of AI. I would say it was probably during World War II at Bletchley Park with uh, them cracking Enigma code. That would be my, I mean, okay. there's lots of other examples, so, but that's like okay. one example. Yeah, so I'll give you, okay, yeah, let me rephrase the question because you're right. Um, consumer use of AI, mass consumer use of AI. Hmm. 
I mean, there's so many uses of it. I would say it was, I mean, I guess it was Google. I mean, uh, I can't. Uh, so. Lucas, Lucas, you failed. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I no, did. No, 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 I'd say that in jest. So I'm no, but I'm good. I'm by the way, I'm, I'm I, I don't mind failing by the way, so no, no, I'm good with it either way. <laughs> good. So, um, it was actually something that you worked on. So, and I remember playing this as a kid. So, which I one? Had, I had <laughs> an Atari console. Oh, nice. Yeah, I didn't work on the Atari console, just so you know. I didn't, yeah, yeah. The console, so the, so. Okay, so the first iteration of mass consumer use of AI was the game Pong. And you could yeah that was on the Atari. Yeah, so that game I wouldn't say it was AI, but I would say it was machine learning for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. And of course, we always, we always mix up the two, don't we? So I'm, I'm probably in your camp and call it typically call it machine learning, but the uh, the common language is AI. But yeah, yeah, AI in, in a way it's like machine learning basically says you know they're just a bunch of if statements, right? So it's like if and statements, if and or if or statements. Now AI takes those if and or statements and then re recalculates them into a real decision. That's like, it's a little bit different than machine learning that it actually is like, hey, you know what? I'm going to take all these if and or statements and then whatever that learning spits out, which is about 80% accurate, I'm now going to create a story around that and structure around that. And that's what AI does. It's, it takes complex machine learning and makes it in kind of way, it dumbs it down to our human vernacular that it makes sense to us so that we can use it to communicate a little bit more effectively and faster, right? So, because we're dumb compared to computers. <laughs> we're dumb compared to like literal, even machine learning, if and or statements, like we're dumb compared to that stuff. Cause that's, that, that can happen in milliseconds. Our brains work fast, but not as fast as that. So it's kind of, yeah. Machine learning plus AI is like brilliance. Like you can't, you can't really compete in a way with that stuff. That's what Jake just texted me at least. Jake, Jake under behind the Mintify account just DM me that. He's like, yeah, dude, man, machine learning, bro. I was like, dude, what? And he's like, yeah, man, I have this machine learning algorithm that like lets me listen to like Sublime even when I'm sleeping. Oh my god, I could just do that with Spotify. <laughs> I I listen to Sublime through osmosis. My subconscious is like singing Sublime right now, and I don't even know it until I'm asleep. He's in Oyster Bay right now. I'm thinking, like, should I go sailing? Or should I do some more TNA? I don't know, man. I think I should go sailing. Oh, my God. Why are you messing with me so much? <laughs> I'm just making sure you're awake, my man. I thought you were I'm sleeping. Awake. No. <laughs> Pen, go for it. What's up? Oh, I was just going to add to the AI conversation, too. I think that, you know, um, using it as like an assistant to what you want to use it for, like, is what I've heard from other uh, people speaking about it. I mean, I love reading and writing. Um, so I wouldn't have any type of use for that. But and did I miss the market report? Nope. Mintify was just about to go over that. 
Sure, yeah. We can uh, we can run through this. Oh, Jay, here we go. Time for Jake to shine. Let's go, Jake. All right, all right. Uh, starting with some marketplace volumes, nothing too out of the ordinary, honestly. 9.8 million for OpenSea, down uh, just about 12%. Blur, 36.8, up 11.2%. And X2Y2, 1.5 million, up 3.4%. The highest sale, though, Azuki 3 uh, for 329 ETH, Azuki 36.28. There were, I believe, four or five quite high uh, Azuki sales the past day following the announcement that they made, which I will uh, mention just in a moment. The NFT volume by blockchain, Ethereum 18.5 million, up almost 30% on the day. Solana 1.7 million up 1.2% and Matic 2 million up 1%. The top trending for volume, Bored Apes. Not unusual to see it here, but had quite a bit of volume. Uh, it's still it's still pumping quite a bit of volume today. Uh, partially, I imagine, in part to uh, Franklin, it seems, had to exit a lot of his apes uh, due to some kind of IRL issue. Uh, he tweeted about that just a little while ago. Um, but board apes earlier, 52 and a half ETH floor price down 10%. Crypto punks taking a dip to 56.2 ETH down 13%. And Azuki getting a little bit of a raise, 14 and a half ETH floor price up 3%. The top trending outlaws, uh, mint, finished minting, I believe this morning or last night doing pretty well i believe it's at 0.17 now uh earlier it was up 60 percent at 0.13 so it's up significantly more than that now the cultist club and antidote i'll skip over those two because it seems like they're pretty much uh dead but they were <laughs> they're both 0.002 now or so uh they were in the top sales though uh so they had some action overnight it seems the biggest winners weirdo ghost gang this one was on here yesterday as well for a top winner, 0.6 uh, or so right now, up 40%. Alts by Adidas, 0.74, up 26%. And Fuocious, Fuel World Paint, 0.47, up 23%. Both of those actually have some stuff going on um, in the near future. I know uh, Alts by Adidas had an announcement recently about Chapter 1 beginning or, or whatnot. And Fuocious uh, had some kind of announcement about uh, something going on with, with their brand. I forget what it was. It was a few weeks ago, but it looks like people are still uh, pricing that in. And the market news. Azuki's Chiro Labs and IPX partner for Web3 expansion. IPX is the company behind Line Friends stickers, which, was a, which were originally created for the Line messaging app, which has over 200 million active users. Uh, Line Friends sells something like some absolutely ridiculous uh, amount of stickers uh, e annually, like an absurd amount um, that a lot of people, uh, you know, in, in the Western part of the world use their stickers for, you know, primarily for communication. Um, so that it's a pretty big expansion. Uh, Azuki's uh, Chiro Labs is moving their beans into that. So that could be pretty cool to see beans used for that. Uh, next up, FTX recovered $7.3 in liquid assets, and they said that they could restart in the future, although uh, not anywhere in the near term. And the Spella hard fork has been executed on mainnet. Validators can begin withdrawing. 
Kraken's unstaking queue earlier this morning made up 62% of the exit queue, likely has a, has a significant amount to do with uh, the policy that they were forced to make where they had to suspend the staking. And uh, Binance will begin supporting unstaking from April 19th. And the market stats, global crypto market cap, 1248.8 billion. Bitcoin dominance, 46.9%, coming down a little bit while Ethereum makes some gains above Bitcoin. Open interest, 9.35 billion. And fear and greed, 61. Sorry, I didn't put that last for you, but there you go. Fear and greed, 61. With uh, oh. Bitcoin at, <laughs> with Bitcoin at 30,475, up 1.6%. Ethereum actually over 2,000 now. 2013, up 5.3%. And uh, we could we could check out the S and P. Let's see, the S and P's at right around uh, forty one forty three, up one point three percent or so. So yeah, looking looking pretty green today. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. the The stuff with FTX when I saw it last night, I was like, "Are you kidding me?" Yeah, you saw the token. I, I would, yeah, it, it's insane because it's like the people only the people that see that are like that have notifications turned on, and obviously the people that knew about the news before it was released. Um, I can actually participate in that, you know, incredible, you know, hundred percent plus rally. Um, I was looking at it. I, I don't support it, you know, FTX nope. personally. Uh, I wouldn't trust them with my money, um, even Same. under ownership. Um, but I still would have liked to, uh, you know, t take advantage of of a little uh, news rally. But yeah, who who doesn't <laughs> want to take advantage of the rally, right? <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. The um. The Franklin thing too, like maybe he was betting against the ETH going up or something, you know, um, and he made it, he's like, oh, personally, I have to take care of stuff. I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. Maybe no, he's just I, smartly, maybe he's smartly exiting, realizing that he's won a lot and maybe he's like trying to like exit without everybody giving him grief. So it could be part of it, but he said that he got rugged on a, an, a, a significant, I think he said like a 2000 ETH investment or something. Um, how do you? It doesn't even make any sense, dude. So. There was there. He did not provide at least in that tweet. Um, I don't know if there was a more recent one. But I think there, he's. There I think no he's. I think he's. I think it's called what what he's doing is called engagement farming. <laughs> That's definitely part of it. I mean, there yeah. there is there's a there's an art to it. You know, leave leave just a little bit of room for speculation. Yeah, well, a little bit of room. That's a lot of room. And oh, I've got to exit some of my apes. So not only is he making money by doing so, but he's also going. Let's leave them wondering why, because that's going to leave. Oh my God! And they're going to exactly what you said. Speculate. It creates people retweeting and messaging, going, "Oh my God!" It's kind of a brilliant strategy. So you really have to consider, though, whether or not he's in profit after all the blur farming. I mean, the majority of, if not all of, I mean, I don't, I didn't, I don't, you know, have the exact data. I'm sure I could look into it and have a much, have a much better idea, but. The biggest blur farmers, you know, market makers, liquidity providers weren't, they were not profiting from their, from their uh, provision of liquidity. They were losing. Why were they, then why were they farming? For the token. But they were, if they, they were in there, if they were not in profit, why were they doing it though? They were expecting to make up the, you know, the losses plus profit on the airdrop. And they, are you saying they didn't then? Well, the airdrop hasn't happened. Uh, the second airdrop. Oh, well, there you go. So they're basically farming, thinking, oh, I'm going to get a second airdrop. Are yes. they, are they, well, here's the thing. What they do know, 
I'm assuming they definitely know in the background is that there is another airdrop coming and that's the inside tip because oh, it, it, it's publicly yeah. known that there is another airdrop. Yeah. I'm assuming there's some, the, again, this is kind of like that movie, the big short, you know, how they, you know, a bunch of people were having to pay out these dividends at all times while they were waiting for their, you know, their short positions. And then, you know, eventually the the crash happened and then they got paid. Obviously they made lots and lots of money, billions of dollars, hundreds yep. of millions, if not billions. Like, I think that's what's happening right now. They're basically doing this thing right now. That's, you know, farming to acquire that second round and they're hurting right now. And they're kind of like, Oh, I got to do this for right now. But at the end of the day, they're thinking long-term, not short-term where most people think, Again, 99% of people think short-term. What can I get tomorrow? Yeah. What can I get this month? What can I get like next month? And that's it. They're thinking, what can I get six months from now, 12 months from now, years from now? Thinking yeah, long-term. Their their level of acceptable risk, really, which right? it's mean, a crazy amount of risk, but you know, more power to you if that is your level of risk tolerance. Right? I agree. I think I'm going to call it a day, guys. It's 1130. I've been on for a lot longer than I expected. It's been an absolute pleasure, by the way, to talk with you guys today and learn about Jake today behind Mintify. That was pretty great as well. So I, I want to thank you guys for like staying in the space and listening to me yammer on. I appreciate it. And Marco and Tammy and Penn and obviously Jake behind Mintify, you guys are awesome. And also the people in the audience, even though there's like four or five of you, I appreciate your attention today. It's pretty amazing to have like people come in and just like listen. So thanks. And I'll be on, I'll probably be on tomorrow at 9am again, uh, Pacific time. So if you guys want to talk again, I'll be on again tomorrow. Most right. of Yeah. Well. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for being here, Jake and, and Tammy and Penn and, and Marco, of course. Absolutely. And I'll see you guys. Yeah. I'll see you guys tomorrow. Be good. Take care. Peace.